Hi everybody, you're listening to The Woke Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk. We strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to our episode zero on safety and consent in rope before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom. We are long-term rope partners who live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. Today's episode is sponsored by you, our lovely listeners. Thank you so much for our patrons who make this podcast possible by supporting some of the costs. If you'd like to help us make more Rope Podcast episodes, please go to ropepodcast.com and visit our Patreon. Hi, lovely podcast listeners. I am so excited to share this episode with you with the wonderful OG of Rope Podcast, Grey Dancer. Very sadly, this was right in the middle of my really dreadful COVID experience. So Fox did the interview on his own, but I am very much there in spirit. I hope you love it. Great answer got into rope bondage back at the turn of the millennium, when rope was 10 cents a foot. He started a podcast about bondage in 2005 and taught, performed and organized events around rope until 2019, traveling throughout North America and Europe. In 2007, he organized the first of over 100 Rope Open Spaces, aka GRU, G-R-U-E, and in 2016, with the help of friends, put on the first Ropecraft event. He also worked to improve consent practices throughout the community. He is firmly by kinky, as he loves polished leather just as much as tightrope. Currently, he is retired from teaching and organizing kink, enjoying drawing pinups, lettering dirty words, and cigars, boots, and chocolate. Gray, how did you come across rope bondage in the first place? I had known somewhat about rope bondage um, for as long as I'd known about sex. Uh, Almost literally, uh, like the second time I had sex ever, I was tied up. Um, In terms of it as a, a active thing, I learned about it in it was either 99 or 2000 the first time I went to International Mr. Leather mm-hmm. in Chicago and I was there that was the first time that I met uh, people who became lifelong friends later on uh, people like Monkey Fetish and um, others um, but I was with my then partner Cunning Minks and we were at the marketplace which International Mr. Leather is a, has a marketplace that you would not believe um, yeah, if you ever think that you have seen the biggest dildo you've ever seen, you have not because you haven't gone to International <laughs> Mr. Leather yet. Uh, it, 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 I guarantee you there are bigger dildos than you've ever seen. Uh, there's also magnificent uh, pieces of leather and vests and kilts and bondage gear and steel restraints and everything, all of which was way more than I could afford as a uh, single dad with uh, with four kids. Um and uh, a freelancer at that. Mm. So um, then I came across this little booth where they were selling nylon rope for 10 cents a foot. Okay, not very And expensive. I thought, I could buy some nylon rope and I could do stuff. And I started looking more into the, uh, the different things online. Um, uh, Nawashi was one of them. Uh, my Nawashi was one of them. Uh, there were, there were, this is back when you would get photo albums on CDs. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like do they have things like that and you can certainly find a lot online but um yeah and so i just started looking at it and most of the original bondage that i looked at was very much western style um and i really enjoyed the symmetry of them the colorful stuff it was all nylon um, most of my first rope bondage was with uh, nylon rope, um, especially like flat braid rope mm-hmm. and uh, and things like that. And um, you have to understand that back then there was not the vast amount of rope education available uh, that there is now. Um, there was a lot of us that were enthusiasts and we would find pictures of things and we would try to reverse engineer them. Okay. Uh and uh, so um, in particular, there was a particular PDF that got passed around the Chicago and, and Midwest area. Um, I cannot remember which was the uh, who was the rigger that was was there, but it was all in Japanese. So we couldn't read it. Wow. Um, and it was just pictures. But we were trying to reverse engineer Takate Kotes and, you know, um, all that all that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, food and momos, and, and even some suspensions. That and sounds like that fun. If maybe slightly dangerous fun. I would say more than dangerous, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a, it was a a wonderful um, exploratory time on all parts. Hmm. And which is a long answer to how I got into rope. Um, I can tell you though that I got into public rope. I know exactly what moment that happened. Um. That was when we were at a uh, cunning mix again, and I were at a fetish night at a um, a local bar here in Madison. Actually, no longer exists, but it, it was at the time it was the kink spot, um, and uh, we weren't thinking much about it. And I was just tying her up, you know, just doing a simple chest harness, and um, I think it was doing what we called then a dragonfly sleeve on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, we were very into it and very much focused on, you know, doing things with each other, doing things with each other. And then, um, we, uh, suddenly got done and we looked around and there had been a crowd gathered around us, uh, that had, it was all watching what we were doing. Amazing. And both she and I, um, well, I won't speak for her, but I believe that she does have some of the same traits that I do of being an attention whore. Hmm. Um, so we were like, oh, if we do this, people pay attention to us. <laughs> and that was kind of the start of my rope bondage performance stuff. Okay. And how, how far along was that from you buying that first set of nylon rope to you starting performing? Uh, maybe a year or two. Okay. It's really, it's really easy to start performing when you're the only person that does that kind of stuff. Because back then it wasn't um, as commonplace I, as it is today right, at all, right? Right, exactly, exactly. Uh, I was I was for a long time the rope guy, mm. um, and uh, you know there were a few more in Chicago, but I had the advantage also of being having a background in the performing arts. I have a degree in dance, okay, and so He's I was great integrating dancer. in a lot of the. It's a really unoriginal name, you know. <laughs> my my real first name is Gray, and I have a degree in dance. Um, it is, however, funny how many people think it's a great answer. Oh, I never heard that one before. Uh, it's pretty I've, good. I've run into that, run into that a few times. People are like, man, you got a 
big head on you. You think you're a great answer. (laughs) What was the question? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But, uh, but yeah, so I, I did, I did performing. Um, I did actually, uh, one part of performing that, that we didn't expect to go well. Again, this was, this was all new back then. Uh, so I was performing in some very interesting places. And one of my friends who I had done a lot of play partner, we did a lot of rope bondage with each other. Um, she was part of a local burlesque group called Foxy Veronica's Peach Pies. Mm-hmm. And they decided they wanted to do a Madonna night. Okay. And my friend hated Madonna. Okay. Absolutely hated Madonna. So she wanted us to do something that would offend everybody. And <laughs> since it's a very, um, it was a very feminist, uh, you know, empowering group. She's like, I want you to get up there and tie me the fuck up to, I think it was Madonna's hung up on you or something like that. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Uh, I can't remember what song it was, but we were pretty much convinced. We're like, we're going to do this and we're going to get booed off the stage. Um, and we're going to, you know, people are going to never want to see us again. Um, that did not happen. Uh, in fact, what actually happened was when we came off the stage, I was invited to become a part of the troupe. Wow. Okay. And we not only integrated rope bondage into several performances, but I also taught several of the other burlesque dancers how to do rope and they went on to do lots of rope in their performances as it went along so oh it's brilliant yeah. hey guys this is fox coming in for a short break listeners like you make this podcast possible we want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time and to do that we need your support please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts so we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, a really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee makes a big difference to us and you will gain cool perks like behind-the-scenes photos and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. Go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too. And so as you were doing this more performance side of things, were you in parallel also having rope in your private life or was it more the performance for you? No, it was very much in private as well. Okay. Um, yeah, I, uh, I was all in um, on the, the rope and uh, the rope has always... It started out and has always had a sexual component to me for mm-hmm. me. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, um, it does fulfill me on many different levels. You know, I, I'm not saying I just do it for a second, but, um, it's, it's always, uh, that's, that's kind of the primary part of it. Mm. Um, but it's also been a, it's an intellectual challenge. It's a movement based performance art. Um, it's sculptural, it's visual, uh, it's tactile, um, it is connective. Uh, and I know there's going to be some people like, oh, no, Gray, you didn't say that. We've had enough connective rope. Um, but uh, look, when I when I did dance, I did dances like um, Argentine Tango and mm-hmm. Contact Improv, all of which are very much about two people working together and communicating through movement 
and um, and feeling and breath and looks and almost entirely non-verbally. Um, and I carried that with me into the rope. And my favorite things with partners was when we were able to have that kind of connection. Okay, that makes and a yeah, lot of sense. And yeah, I'm going to use that word connection. Oh, I use please, word community please, too, please so. do. I'm okay. also quite into the connective <laughs> rope, so... Uh... No, uh, no connection shaming here. Uh, and so from that yes. beginning, let's, uh, let's go to the other end of the story and then we can work towards the middle. Where are you today? With you? Okay. Uh, honestly, it's kind of sad. Um, yeah. I don't do a lot of rope hmm. anymore. Like not um, a lot a of like bit. once a month, once a week, like what do you call? Like maybe once a month, okay. maybe once a month. And it's only, it is only, uh, and some of this is by choice. Um, it is only uh, in private with my partner. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, some of that is by choice. Um, I reached a point where I sort of felt like I, I had achieved a lot of stuff with rope bondage, but I was... I looked around me and a lot of the other people who also were in positions of uh, power, privilege, or authority um, looked a lot like me. Okay. And I thought I, I would rather make space for us to have a little less, a, a little more diversity in the rope community, mm -hmm. in the rope scene. Um, and at the time I was doing crews, uh, my unconference stuff, I was doing rope craft, um, I was teaching a lot, teaching on Kink Academy and uh, lots of other places. And I basically decided to uh, do my best to make those spaces welcoming for people who didn't look like me. Mm -hmm. And then the plan was to then, you know, gracefully retire, make sure they had what they needed to thrive. And then I would go back to enjoying being a part of the community just as a, as a civilian. Okay. Um, and yeah, I made that decision in late 2019. So um, timing on that was not the best for deciding you're going to start traveling and going to conventions. And right. Like that. Right. So, and, and that's, you know, I, I realized that so many awful things happened during COVID that, you know, obviously that's not the worst thing to ever happen, but it is, um, it is a little ironic, uh, but the other side of things is just, you know, when everything closed down, um, I, you know, I no longer, I, I had been doing a lot of rope stuff at community events or at parties or things like that. Um, a little bit at home, but not as much. Um, and then COVID hit and, you know, we had to deal with all kinds of, you know, other kinds of health issues and stuff and the rope kind of fell by the wayside. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, we still we still do it. We certainly miss it, both of us. Um, and it's just a matter of it's a little bit. It takes a little more work to get into it. There's not as many natural, naturally occurring rope events kind of things going on. True. Um, we actually have in October. There are a couple of Madison events that are sort of coming back to life. Madison Rope Annex, the Rope Jam. And we're hoping to go to that and kind of sort of rekindle some of that stuff. Mm. Uh, but uh, but no, at the moment, um, and I've also, it, it's interesting. I do still have contact with a lot of the friends that I've made in the rope community, uh, sometimes daily contact. Um, but we don't talk about rope. 
Mm. Uh, we talk about 3D printing and we talk about cigars and we talk about um, volcanoes. We, I mean, we do sometimes talk about rope um, and and things like that, but certainly not the way that we, we used to. Um, and I think that's okay. Like I, there are times when I sort of like feel tremendously out of touch. Uh, sometimes when I'm listening to your podcast um, and I'm like, wow, I, the times they have changed. Hmm. But um, at the same time, I, I see the thriving rope community and it's okay that I'm not, you know, in the middle of it anymore. It's okay to just, you know, see it and, and be like, wow, you guys are doing some amazing stuff. This is fantastic. Um, and I, I get asked to teach and get asked to perform on a regular basis. I probably about once a month. And um, I only said yes once. And that was at uh, Rigor J's um, unconference event Screw and, uh, in Seattle recently last year. And um, my partner, Cornyn, were there. Uh, we decided to give one quick class. And I discovered two things. One, I discovered I still love teaching. It is, it is really fun. Mm-hmm. And I discovered it's still me taking up space that other people can be doing stuff and I don't need to be teaching. So um, we sort of stopped the class and that was that. Okay. And do you think this is more of an ebb and flow kind of thing where rope might come back into your life in a more major way? Or do you more feel like, okay, I've done this, I've got the value out of it, but now I've moved on to a different part of my life? I I think it'll come back in a major way eventually. Um, I I can't remember somebody. I, I heard someone say a quote once, and they said, "I I realized that I I wasn't done with this. I just put it down for a while." Hmm. Um, and and that that really resonated with me a lot. Um, it will come back in a major way, but not in the same way that it did before. Uh, it it okay. and, and and that includes even. Uh, even in my private role sexually, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I, uh, my, my partner and I are both at an age where we don't really, can't really safely do suspensions anymore. And we used to do suspensions all the time. So even if we do manage to get rope back into our practice, it won't be the way it was before. It'll be mm-hmm. something different. Um, I very much am enjoying my art practice now. Um, and that includes pinups, which includes bondage pinups. Okay. Uh, and, and things like that. So, uh, you know, I, I enjoy sketch noting. I enjoy, you know, those, those forms of art. So yes, I, I definitely, I'm really looking forward to volunteering at the next, uh, rope craft. Okay. Uh, and I want to volunteer in, something that I've, I don't know what, something I haven't done before. Maybe I'll be security. Maybe I'll be, I won't be vendor liaison, but I'll be anything else. Anything else that Osmond wants me to be, I will do. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, you know, I won't be, I won't be the one in charge. Okay. So that's interesting because at the start you describe yourself as I quote an attention whore and now you seem mm-hmm. to be more wanting to be in a supporting role and be less to the the front so how do you how do you feel that has evolved in you over time well um let's 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 take the metaphor to its logical conclusion 
Um, and I say this as someone who very much believes in and supports and has done sex work. Um, a, a whore's, a, a sex worker's pers- uh, track of career track, mm-hmm. uh, ideally, um, is one where first they are the person providing the service, usually. Yeah. And then eventually they become more in demand and more selective in where they provide the services. Mm-hmm. And then they eventually become the person that enables a space for other people to provide the services and reaps the benefit of that. Um, so I would say where maybe I was an attention whore before, and now I'm an attention madam. Brilliant. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, and I say that instead of the word pimp, because pimp has a whole lot of negative connotations yeah. to it. Whereas Madam's madam, yeah, exactly. They, they, they tend to run a house that they are concerned for their, um, their workers and things like that. So, so yeah, um, you know, I, I want to see, I want to see other people succeed. I want to see other people, um, you know, if, if I can help them with that, that's great. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, recently there was an event in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. no Philly, Philly, sorry, in Philadelphia. Um, and I can't remember the name of the, the event exactly, but it built itself as the very first, um, rope unconf- rope, uh, open space in Philadelphia. Okay. And I saw that happen. And at first, um, I was like, um, let's wait a minute now. I, I've been to Philadelphia a few times and we've done grooves there and grooves are open space events. So how is this, how are you saying this is the first, you know, there was, there was this moment of feeling like, Oh my God, they've forgotten me. Uh, you know, I didn't do anything that meant anything and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, I, I actually, I, I'm relieved to say that I got over it fast. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I did ask them, like, do you sure you're the first? And the person who was doing it um, uh, said, as far as I know. And I was like, huh. And I thought about it, I'm like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. um, I I can take, I, I, I know that I did open spaces there that made a difference in a lot of people's lives. I mean, that was, mm-hmm. that was a thing that happened. And I believe that I made it easier for open space events to occur by doing over a hundred grooves all around North America. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, that had that the event had a pretty positive uh, reputation, and then um, and so it it uh, I think that did some good. So. Um, you know, they, you know, they saying, I think it was Steve Jobs said, you know, try and put a dent in the universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I hate, I hate that saying. Yeah. I, I think that I'm like, the universe is dented enough. You know, we don't need to put more dents <laughs> in the universe. No, fuck that. Um, but I do feel like um, I moved the needle. Okay. The, the work that I did. And, and when I say I, I should say we, because mm. I, I could not have done any of the things I did without the many people that, helped me out in various ways and forms. Okay, so that's a beautiful story of maturity in in one way where you went from being more I-focused to more we and something bigger than just your own person. Right. Also, it's tiring. 
you know, I got I got tired of traveling that much. Um, I was I was traveling at one point more than 50 percent of the time I was on the road in different places. And, uh, you know, I uh, I don't like Wisconsin winters, but I like my Wisconsin grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like having a house with a porch and uh, cigars. And um, so, you know, it's not it's a different kind of joys. And I definitely can tell you that I do things now and I revel in things now that I would have at that time when I was at, you know, full of the run around and teach rope and perform and stuff that I would have been like, no, I'll never want to do that. Why would I want to do that? That sounds boring. Mm. And now I'm like, no, no, no. Give me a book and a cigar in my back porch. I'm, I'm good for a couple hours. Mm. Yeah. Life is a journey, isn't it? Exactly. This great interview went over time. So we've cut it into two episodes. Check out our next episode for the second part. So that's all from us at The Rope Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And also come friend us on our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, where our name is also Rope Podcast. If you have a question related to rope, we'd love to answer it in one of our future episodes. Drop us a message on FetLife or Instagram. If you like this podcast and would enjoy more episodes, find all the ways to support us on our website, ropepodcast.com. In particular, please consider supporting us directly on our Patreon page. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying.